0: Welcome to our study today through the parables. I'm Ken Baer, one of the pastors that Celebrate seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. Today, we'll be looking at the parable in the Gospel of Luke, often called the parable of the master and the servant. You know, Jesus answers a request from his apostles and tells them uh, this parable. And this parable will also teach us the nature of, of true discipleship. The story that Jesus tells is called, again, the parable of the master and the servant, also often called sometimes the parable of the unprofitable servant. So let's begin reading in uh, Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and plant it in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait for me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. You know, Jesus often spoke in parables, likely some of the parables that we know so well, like the parable of the prodigal son, or the lost sheep, or the Good Samaritan, Jesus likely told over and over. Uh, And that's what good preachers do, they tell the same story over and over because they, they communicate. And Jesus was communicating about the Kingdom of God. Jesus also said that some would have ears to hear. They would be able to hear these parables and understand, and others would not be able to understand. Uh, This parable is, is somewhat unique, as Jesus is speaking here specifically to the Apostles. Many of the other parables were for larger groups, but this was specifically to the Apostles. The apostles asked him a question and they said, Lord, increase our faith, a request. In answer to that request, Jesus told them this parable. Uh, you know, there's been times in my life, and likely yours also, that I've, I've had to be honest with myself and, and turn to the Lord and say, Lord, increase my faith. These are primarily, there are primarily two times that, that this happens two instances that may cause us to think that our faith is lacking and and we need more. The first is when we see something, or see someone do something spectacular. You know, the apostles had the example of Jesus, and and Jesus was constantly doing amazing things. You know, he did amazing things because not only of who he was, but the mission that he was on as well. He was doing miracles and signs that demonstrated that he was more than just a man. The apostles were with him. They too were amazed. They too wondered. Peter once challenged Jesus with a similar request. He said, Lord, if it's you, remember Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. Jesus said, come, and Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water, but we know what happened. I know I don't have the faith to to walk on water and when I see a a someone a pastor a missionary a teacher Or I hear a testimony of Some great walk of faith. It's easy for me to be like these apostles and Turn to Jesus and say Lord Increase my faith Now the other time remember, I said there are two instances one is this first one the second one is when we find ourselves reading Clear instructions in the New Testament clear instructions in the Gospels and we realize that We just don't measure up to what's being taught It's what the Apostles I believe this is what the Apostles were asking Uh, They were confessing to Jesus their their rabbi their master that their faith was not enough You know just prior to this teaching we have today this parable um, in the beginning of the 17th chapter of Luke Jesus is talking about uh, Woe to those who cause others to stumble. And then he also talks about forgiveness. Jesus often talked about about forgiveness. Forgiveness to Jesus was was a measuring rod. A way of understanding of whether you really loved your neighbor as yourself. See, the apostles were listening to Jesus. They tried to absorb the teaching, but they still felt they couldn't quite measure up. The apostles then asked Jesus to help them develop their faith. So let's look at this parable. We'll take it line by line. What Jesus has to say, and we'll we'll find what uh, what's profitable for us to find. In fact, will we will be, be able to answer some questions about Christianity, our faith, our service, and our duty. So let's go back to verse six. Jesus says. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus answers the request for more faith by saying, if you had faith like a mustard seed. Now that's that's an interesting statement. And at first what seems to imply that they don't really possess the kind of faith that they, they need. Uh, We've all been taught that the mustard seed is one of the smallest of all the seeds and Jesus is comparing the mustard seed to the faith of the apostles. Remember Jesus is speaking directly to them, answering their question. He compares their faith to a mustard seed and then he says the word if, if you had the faith of a mustard seed. Well, how would it be possible for a person to be an apostle without having faith like a grain of the mustard seed however there's a there's another possibility and we come to it very very quickly particularly if we dismiss the thought that jesus was not talking about the size of their faith jesus is probably talking about the quality of their faith now this would be a good assumption we know for example that it isn't the amount of faith that we have but who we have faith in or what we have faith in that that really matters you know for example, there are people that put their faith into gold and to silver, their riches. Uh, they may have great faith and they may have lots of wealth, but ultimately there'll be a time when the riches and the gold and the wealth fails them. It'll be totally inadequate to be able to provide for them at the time they need it most. You know, as a, as a pastor, I've had conversations with people that have placed their faith not so much in Jesus Christ and the Word of God but they'll place their faith in their local church or worse yet their denomination or maybe the local pastor now all three of these may have had great records it's a great local church great denomination great local pastor but ultimately the faith that saves the faith that is durable is faith in God not in man because man will always disappoint now the other thing about a mustard seed remember jesus is talking about a mustard seed is that mustard seeds grow and i, and I like that um, jesus uses the analogy the comparison of a mustard seed often in his parables in the gospel of mark for example he speaks specifically about the mustard seed and the kingdom of god let me let me read a small passage for you in mark 4:30, jesus said to what shall we liken the kingdom of god or With what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And it's this little bit of faith that it can accomplish amazing things. Jesus said that even small faith, if if it's genuine, can uproot a tree and send it into the sea. That's what Jesus said, he said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. So before we go on to the main part of this parable, uh, the part where the servant is is interacting with the master, I, I feel I need to address briefly this picture that Jesus is painting in our imagination of a mulberry tree, any tree actually, being uprooted and planted into the sea. You see, if we look through the Bible, we really see no precedent or any need for trees to be uprooted. Uh, you know, in contemporary language, we would say this is like having a, uh, an F-150, being able to toss a Ford F-150 across the river without a bridge. Um, but if we're not going to take this part of the parable literally, that means we have to take it uh, symbolically. So let's take a look at it symbolically and see if there's something that, that we can glean from it. You know, Jesus is, is very careful with his words. I believe the entire Bible is, is very selective in the words that were used. These parables reveal mysteries. And I'm not prepared to say there isn't something special about the words that are being used uh, in order to get some further insight into the kingdom of God. Um, a mulberry tree being planted, not thrown, not removed, but be planted into the sea. It it still seems mysterious to me. You know, I've read some commentaries that try to show that the words like tree, planted, sea, all are symbols for spiritual truth. And And I don't doubt that for a minute. I just, I'm not prepared to say, this is what this parable is talking about. I did read one parable that said that the mulberry tree specifically has very, very uh, tight roots, a very, very strong root system. And perhaps Jesus was talking about that a little bit of faith can dislodge the roots of doubt. Well, I, I like that, but again, I'm not going to say that specifically what this part of this parable is talking about. So let's, let's go on. We know that faith is measured by quality, by substance, by, by who we have faith in, not the quantity the capacity of of what um, at a minimum these words of jesus regarding the mustard side faith tells us that with the right kind of faith faith in god faith in the kingdom of god it has it has great power because of the power of god that's that's truly at work now jesus goes on and tells the parable of the servant and the master so let's dig into this parable before i get rained on Verse number seven, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that you may eat and drink. You know, the language that Jesus is using is is called rhetoric. It, It comes from a Greek philosophy. It's a, it's a type of speech, a, a type of story or discussion that specifically tries to convince the listener to sway an audience. It's, it's a style, again, called rhetoric. You know, it's used today. In fact, we use the word uh, uh, rhetorically speaking, meaning that we're saying something, we don't expect a, a response, a, an answer. We're trying to convince based on the words that we're using. In rhetorical discourses, this goes back to the way the Greeks taught things, there were three types of rhetorical discourses, and I'll I'll outline them just briefly for you so that we can get to the main point here. The the three types of reasoning were ethos, pathos, and logos. Now, ethos refers to character, using a character of an individual to to reach an agreement. Uh, Pathos refers to passion. A speaker will use repetitive words, emotion, uh, one of the best examples is Martin Luther King's speech, where he says, "I have a dream." I have a dream. He'll repeat it, and he's 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 invoking a passion. Preachers often use this type of of rhetoric. In this case, however, with this, with the servant and the master, Jesus is using reason. He's using what's called logos. It's reasonable to assume that the servant that would be working for you in the fields, when he is done with his work would not be invited into the main house to have supper with you, to sit at your table, to drink iced tea. Jesus uses even a modern use of the rhetorical question. Suppose, Jesus says, that one of you has a servant whom you put to work in the field. At the end of the day, would you welcome him to the table? You know, see, this type of question doesn't need a response. It's a rhetorical question. It's, it's, Jesus is using it to evoke reason. Jesus uses this literary device twice. This time, let's use the actual words in the parable. This is from the New International Version. Verse 8 says, Wouldn't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. You see, again, there's no answer that's required. This is the way it is done. This is the way that servants serve their masters. This is exactly what a servant is supposed to do. The parable, no, the parable is not saying that it's appropriate to be rude, uh, to be uncaring or unmoved, to not be sympathetic that the servant was working hard in the fields. Jesus is commenting on duty, on service. Then Jesus asks a question which is the center of the comparison. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? Again, it's a rhetorical question. There's no response that's required on the part of the Apostles or by us. Will he not thank the servant because he did what he was supposed to do? Now I've taught this parable before and I fully understand the kind of questions I typically get. You know sometimes when we read these parables our our minds wander and we start thinking of what the parable what the parable doesn't say. It doesn't say that masters are supposed to be rude or that servants are supposed to be worked to death. It's really about the relationship between the master and the servant focusing on the duty of the servant. You know, I can tell you a story however. Before I I got into ministry, I worked for over 20 years with a very large company. And one of my assignments at that company was in a department where on payday the boss, the supervisor actually would walk around and thank the employees for their for their work you know, they were getting paid, and he wanted to make sure that he walked around and thanked them. Well, what do you think the response was from the employees? Were they amused? Were they thankful that he came around? Well, not really. They were actually a little resentful. They said, hey, listen, I, I work hard for this money. This is, this is what I do. I'm getting paid. I, I don't need the supervisor to thank me as if I'm doing it specifically for him. You know, Jesus has something profound actually to say much more profound than my example of my time in a department with a supervisor that thanked us the context of this parable is that remember the context it was back in 30 a.d now at the time the word that we had in greek the word that is often translated as servant in the bible is actually the same word as slave and at the time of jesus probably half of the people were in some kind of indentured servitude. Most of them were servants. There, was a, there wasn't a middle class, there was the upper class and there were servants. And the relationship between the master and the servant was also pretty severe. It was impersonal. It was often harsh. The slave was expected to obey whatever the master told him to do. A, a good master, do you know how a good master was defined? One that didn't beat his slave. If the master told his servant to plow the field during the day and to prepare a supper after returning home, the servant obeyed because he knew that this was his task. There was no need to thank him for that. These were rhetorical questions. That's why Jesus used them. There was, there was no need to respond because that was requested. So let's move into the very last verse today and we'll see the application for, for you and me. In the last verse of of this parable, verse 10, Jesus compares this picture of the disciples service to God. Verse 10, he says, So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should should say, We are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. You know, please notice that the focus of this parable is the attitude of the servant, not the master. We shouldn't read anything into this parable regarding the attitude, personality, or character of the master. This is about the servant because Jesus tells us that in this verse number 10. Say we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. You know it's often said in church settings that the, the grace of God may be free but it's certainly not cheap. For every verse that indicates that it may be easy to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's a verse where Jesus warns us. In John 16, for example, Jesus says, For you will be excommunicated from the synagogues, and a time is coming when you will be put to death by misguided ones who will presume to be doing God a, a great service by putting you to death. You know, we may think sometimes that we're pretty special. But the Bible says that God uses the fools to confound the wise. What then is the whole point of this this parable? This story illustrates the ideal attitude that a disciple should have in serving God. A disciple should never forget his position before God. He has been brought into the kingdom by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He has not only been brought into the kingdom but he has been bought He's been brought into the kingdom, but he has been bought. There's a price that was paid. You know, in other religions, you can boast. There are things that you can do to to merit the favor of some false gods. You you can earn karma in some religions, uh, but not Christianity. The heart of the Christian faith is the work of God. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works. Let me close by, by telling you this. There is work that we can do in the kingdom of God. It may not be plowing or looking after sheep or working in the fields or preparing suppers or waiting for, on the master while he eats and drinks. But in Romans 12, beginning in verse 3, this is what the apostle Paul says. He says, For the, by, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve, If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do so cheerfully. The purpose of this parable is not to teach us how God deals with us. It's how we, through humility, have the opportunity to serve. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. We give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.